Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's verse 22 of Psalm 55, which is the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, July the 24th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. And those psalms, like Psalm 55, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful psalm. And it's so honest, so emotionally honest. Um, but, but at the same time, when you're trying to start a podcast with something uplifting and positive, um, this is not one of those. <laughs> because what it is, is, is David's prayer to God to deliver him from his enemies. And we don't know which enemy particularly is we're talking about here, but it could be Saul. It could be Absalom his own son who revolted against him. It could be almost anybody. But, but David is, is complaining because it's somebody who was a friend of his who's turned his back on him. And not only that, but who's betrayed him. And it's an it's a incredibly human emotion that he's pouring out before the Lord. And that's the thing that we need to always be aware of is, is, is that we can pour out our complaint before the Lord. And when we do, we, we should leave it there. And we should not then go about trying to tell everybody around us because we're telling our side of the story and I, I, you know at 60 I've lived way more than long enough to know that my side of the story is not the only side of the story and so we've got to be careful about that it, it, it turns into murmuring in the congregation whenever that happens and, and it was a constant problem in the wilderness the murmuring that would go on and, and so we've got to be careful about that and so this it's an example a wonderful example of how to pray about things that when, when, when you've been betrayed by somebody else. But, but then you need to be aware of two things. One is you need to leave it there. <laughs> when you get up off your knees, that needs to be the end of that conversation. You don't need to then go and gather others to your side based on your side of the story. That it, You need to leave it there and then go away. And, and then to be aware also that you bear some culpability in this as well. And to be able to listen and hear the Lord correct you for what you could have and should have done in this instance. I, mean, I don't think I've ever been a complete innocent in a conflict in my life ever. I, maybe I have, but I doubt it. Um, and so the, one of the things that we're, that's hardest for us, I think, is to hear the word of correction back to us. But, but it's necessary for us to wait and listen to the Lord because if we can't be corrected then we're never going to learn, and, and we're never 100% in the right. I mean, that's just the honest truth. I, I know that in my own life, and I know it from having worked in uh, litigation support work for a long time and done expert testimony in disputes between business partners or, or spouses or whatever, and I know it from counseling. Um, nobody's ever 100% right. And so that's the reason we need a Savior. And we need to always be grace-filled and mercy-filled and all that. We, we need to keep ourselves soft towards others, particularly brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So anyway, that, that psalm, to, to choose a portion of it to read, it, it could be you know, incredibly honest with it, but, but I chose not to. But it's, I don't have any conflict in my life right now that, that I'd be praying about in this way. But, but I just wanted to, to share with you the, sort of the, the way David prays so honestly before the Lord, that, it, that it's a powerful thing. And here in this, we're, we're um, now we're moving, we've finished up in 1 Samuel, and now we're in 2 Samuel. And you remember yesterday, the, the lesson was the death of Saul and Jonathan and, and the two brothers of Jonathan. 
and, and the defeat of Israel by the Philistines. And, and remember, Saul was, um, the archers got him. And he was about to die, and he turned to his armor bearer, and he, and he asked his armor bearer to kill him, but he wouldn't do it. The armor bearer wouldn't. And so Saul fell on his own sword and died on his sword. And then because the armor bearer saw it, he greatly feared, and he fell on his sword as well. Well, here in this Second Samuel 1 passage, what you get is somebody who comes to David who has been with... Um, David had been striking down the Amalekites in Ziklag because they had come to Ziklag while David was away. And, and they had gone um, and, and taken all the, they burned it to the ground, and then they took the women and children. Now, they didn't kill any of the women and children, but they took them away and took everything they had. And David and his men had to go back and rescue them. But then they get back to Ziklag, and there's nothing there. And remember, these are Amalekite raiders who have done this. And so David has just struck them down, and he comes back to Ziklag. And three days later, a man comes from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. He comes to David, he falls to the ground and pays him homage. And, and David asks him, where do you come from and why are you here? And so the guy told him, <clears throat> the people fled from the battle and also many of the people have fallen and are dead and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. And David said, how do you know that? And he tells this story that I found Saul on Mount Gilboa and he wasn't dead yet and he asked me to kill him because he was dying, even though he knew that I was an Amalekite. He says, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. And so he said, so I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. And he thinks this is good news for David, because after all, David is going to be the king now. And, and wouldn't David want that to happen? And he's assuming that David's going to see what he's done as a noble thing that benefits David greatly. But he's wrong, because David then calls him back after they mourn a bit. He calls the man back and says, where do you come from? He said, I'm the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. I'm an Amalekite who's living among the Israelites. And he says, how was it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then David called one of his young men and told him to go execute him. And he says, your blood be on your head, for you're out of your own mouth. You've testified, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. But he thought that this would be good news for David. And he thought probably that he'd be rewarded for having killed Saul and then brought David the, the symbols of the office of king. He couldn't have been any more wrong. He could not have been any more wrong. And, and that's one of the things that, that, that it, it speaks so well about David. Not that he executes this guy, but because in his mind that Saul continued to be the Lord's anointed even to, up to the moment of his death. And so he would, he would defend the honor of Saul no matter what. And, and so this Amalekite has come, the, the Amalekites that David has just defeated because they've tried to destroy his place. And now comes this Amalekite to tell him, I've killed Saul, therefore you're going to be the king. With the expectation that, that I'll have some sort of honor for this and David says no no you don't understand anything if you think that's the truth and we need to always have that attitude towards our quote enemies specifically in the body of Christ Jesus says don't have enemies that's exactly what he means when he says love your enemies don't have enemies but too often I've seen it happen where we're 
you see these upheavals in congregations or denominations or whatever because there's these warring factions and I saw it happen and I saw it tear apart a denomination. Um, this jealousy and this belief that, that I should be king and you're the king and you're in the way and therefore I'm going to rally support around me like Absalom does to David and I'm going to destroy you. And then it's just, it's the saddest thing I've ever seen in the, in the body of Christ. And it wants me at some level to not be part of that thing at all. I won't be part of that because I know it's Genesis. So how do we, how do we deal with these kinds of things? We need to always allow the Lord to handle our battles for us. And that's what Jesus does here in this gospel lesson. He goes home and on the Sabbath he's preaching and the people begin to see things that they've heard about him they're astonished and they said where did he get these things what is the wisdom given to him and how are such mighty works done by his hands they're marveling at what he says and what he's done and then immediately they go to what they know wait a minute isn't this the carpenter the son of mary and the brother of james and joseph and judas and simon and aren't his brothers and sisters here with us what the heck no you're nothing you're nobody we know who you are and they took offense at him they ask the right questions. Where did this man get these things? How does he have this wisdom? And, and what are the works done by his hands? What, how does this happen? And then they answer their own question with saying, wait a minute, he's a carpenter. We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. They're all here. He's, no. So they, they discount what they've seen and what they've heard because of what, what they believe, what they know about Jesus that it no longer matters what he says or does it's this other thing they know that prevents him from from being seen by them because of what they know and so he did know he he says a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household and he could do no mighty work there except that he had laid his hands on a few people and he healed them and they mar he marveled because of their unbelief. You know, we can hold people's past against them forever and ever. And people do that in the body of Christ. You know, hey, I knew that guy before he became a pastor, priest, whatever, and, and he's nothing. And, and it's, it's ridiculous. Because in God's eyes, we're everything. All of us. If he has saved and redeemed us, it's because he loves us and, and, and loves us passionately, loves us dearly wants only the best for us and yet we hold things in people's past against them and I mean, we may not do it in, a, in an angry way or whatever but we're always like well you know i remember him when i know who he is <clears throat> um and, and so then jesus calls the 12 to him and he sends them out and he gives them authority over the unclean spirits and he tells them don't take anything for your journey except a staff no bread bag money in your belts just wear sandals and put on not put on, don't put on two tunics and then where whenever you enter a house stay there until you depart from there and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them and then they went out and did these things and, and they saw that the power was with them to uh, heal heal the sick and to cast out demons and the the disciples believed they, did, they believed that Jesus had the power and that he also had the authority to delegate that power to them so that they could do these things. That, that's belief, is walking in the anointing, walking in what Jesus has given you to do. 
And so he gave them this thing. And these guys were fishermen. I mean, he sends a bunch of fishermen out on a, on a missionary journey to proclaim something, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom, and to do it with power. And here these fishermen are, and they're out there now laying hands on people and, and casting out demons and healing the sick. It's Who are these men? And these men have been with Jesus. And these men have, have received power from on high to do the same things that Messiah himself is doing. And so have you. You know, that's the honest truth is, is this has been committed to us. This is the work of the church is to continue to do these things and to see the healing power of Jesus poured out via the Holy Spirit through God's people. And so we need to, to understand the authority we've been given and we need to step up, step up what we believe about Jesus and what he has committed to his church. The we tend to make it some sort of a legalistic thing where we keep in all the rules and so we've got the, the list of things over here that, that we, we make sure we're doing these things but we, but we live these really safe existences. We, we barely talk about him at all and, and we're unable to share the gospel well and effectively um, much less you know, do we lay hands on them? When somebody says hey, I, 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 here's what's going on in my life do we lay hands on them and we pray for them? Or, or do we say I'll be praying for you? You know, that's the thing is, is that I can be really convicted that what I need to do is stop and say, let's pray right now. And, and because we, there's power. And so I, we want that demonstration of power, but it's also a demonstration of faith. To say this means so much that the only thing that I can do right now is stop everything I'm doing and pray for you. In this Acts lesson, we see the result of the Jerusalem Council where they decided the Gentile question. What do we do about the Gentiles? How do we incorporate them into this new movement? Do we need to um, circumcise them, or what do we need to do? And so remember yesterday, they, they decided on just a few things. You know, you need to abstain from things that are sacrificed to idols. You need to abstain from things that have been strangled. In other words, that have the blood hasn't come out of it, and from blood. And then you also need to um, abstain from sexual immorality. And so what they decided was is that, that in addition to sending Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with this word about what their decision in Jerusalem is, they need to send other people with them to kind of validate that, to say, okay, we now are going to be taking responsibility and, and, and we care about you enough that we're sending some of us out there. We want to prove to you that, that we care. And that this is truly a message from us. And so they send Barsabbas, a man named Judas called Barsabbas, who would be son of Sabbas, and, and Silas, who continues with, the, with Paul in a later time, uh, in, a, in, next, in the next chapter actually. He begins to go with Paul. And, and so they sent them out to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. And, and they tell them, um, we've heard that some persons have gone out promise and trouble you with words unsettling your minds although we gave them no instructions which is to say that they've come out there and they've told you what you need to do but that didn't but but we didn't say that that didn't come from us this is just something they have um have decided on their own and so he said it seemed good because of that it seemed good to us to choose men and send them with our beloved barnabas and paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they send Judas and Silas, and then they tell them exactly the things that are required of them. These are the things you need to pay attention to. And again, they think this is a, it's sort of a, it's, you could almost consider it an end times cult, because it, it, at every level, everyone assumed that, that this would be a one-generation thing. 
that the, the end was coming very, very soon. So they, they say, here's the bare minimum of what you need to do. And if you're going to give somebody the bare minimum of what they need to do, it's the most important stuff. So these are the things that we, that, that, that the Jerusalem church considered the most important things for Gentiles to know. They broke down the law into these very simple categories. You know, stay away from anything that's been sacrificed to another god because that, that's a form of worship to that god. And you're participating in the recognition of something that's no god at all. And I'm afraid you're going to be taking demonic stuff into your body by doing that because it's been sacrificed to another god and there's only one god so everything else that claims to be a god is a demon. And so that, that's exactly what they're saying here. And then stay away from stuff with the blood still in it because, because you're mixing two life forms when you do that. You're taking animal blood into you and, and you're becoming animalistic They said because the life of the thing is in the blood. And then to stay away from sexual immorality. And so sexual ethics were an important part of the, the church from the beginning. And, and so they've boiled it down to these things. And so people who will say, well, Jesus never said anything about that. Well, he must have because the disciples considered that the most, one of the most important things. I mean, as far as the ethics of life are concerned, that's the only ethical life thing they said. So anyway, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that because it, it's so straightforward. And so they read it and the, and the people receive it with joy. They receive good news. Because now they've been incorporated into the body of Christ. And they've been accepted by the people in Jerusalem. Not on the terms the other people had proposed, but on Jesus' terms. We're all saved through faith, by grace. Period, end of sentence. It doesn't mean that nothing else matters as far as ethics and life is concerned. But it means how we're incorporated into the body of Christ is through the blood of Christ. Period, end of sentence. That's it. Not your blood, not your circumcision, not anything else. Just through faith in the blood of Christ. 